listening to I Might Be Wrong, a podcast hosted by myself, Rich Needham, and my co-host, Henry Salmon. Welcome to this year's last official proper I Might Be Wrong episode. We're going to do a year wrap up and chat about a few few of our favourite things next week. But this is our last one talking about a specific album. I've got, of course, Henry with me. How are you doing, sir? Hey, Rich. Yeah, I'm well. I'm looking forward to this one and I'm looking forward to the wrap up too. How are you doing? I am good. I'm good. I have had three double espressos in about three hours, so I might be sounding a little bit more manic than normal. So apologies if if that hurts anyone's ears. Yeah, watch out for the words per minute. I guess it's going to increase a little bit. (laughs) It's fine. I'm tempering everything by drinking a beer at the same time. Yeah, okay. That's good. That's kind of mixing your drugs. Uh, Yeah, we'll see how that works out. Go pills and slow pills at the same time. Well, drugs is a good jumping in point to the band that we're going to talk about today yeah well you've you've gone i was i think you've gone the largest that we've had on this podcast um tell us the band the album well uh, the band is fleetwood mac and of course the album has to be rumors i don't know that i could talk about any other of their albums even though there are other excellent ones out there that they've done because you this is huge i mean a lot of the stuff we've spoken about is not niche, but it's um it's fairly indie based. But you've picked a very mainstream album, which is even if people don't know the name of Fleetwood Mac or the album by its title, I think everyone listening will probably have bumped into some of the tracks on this album. Well, yeah, that's kind of how I rediscovered Fleetwood Mac in my twenties. I bought one of their best of albums and i remember going through it and going oh oh that's fleetwood mac oh that's fleetwood mac oh that's them too and and just you know ticking off song after song after song that's an absolute classic heard loads of times on the radio and just didn't know who the band were precisely so before we go into the music tell us about the band So Fleetwood Mac are a British-American rock band. They were formed in 1967 by guitarist Peter Green, drummer Mick Fleetwood and guitarist Jeremy Spencer and then were joined for their debut album by bassist John McVie. And Fleetwood Mac obviously comes from Mick Fleetwood and John McVie. It's a very uh, inventive way of naming yourselves. Yeah, I saw a I saw an article saying that they should actually be called Fleetbuck McNicks, which actually <laughs> works slightly better. But yeah, well, you say that, but then a number of those other pieces didn't fall into place until well after they'd really established themselves, or not really established themselves, but at least had been going for quite some time. So, keyboardist Christine McVie, who was called Christine Perfect back then, contributed as a session musician and then married McVie and officially joined in 1970. They then had various guitarists and musicians cycling through their lineup in the early 70s, and a weird hiatus that happened where they decided <laughs> they decided to take a hiatus mid-tour. Uh, their manager tried to put on a new Fleetwood Mac lineup that basically led to a load of lawsuits and all sorts of nonsense over who owned the name Fleetwood Mac. Wait, so so the band just wandered off and he was like, shit, I've got a tour to do, so I'm just going to draft in a load of other people and call them Fleetwood Mac. Exactly that. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, I can't remember the name of the band, but basically he was managing another band who'd 
released like one album and he went you guys do you, do you want to do you want to be Fleetwood Mac and initially love it so for their first couple of tour dates everyone was like oh these guys are really good and they sounded great and people loved them and then the news kind of emerged into the kind of music press and mainstream at the time that they weren't actually Fleetwood Mac and there were none of the original members at which point they started getting way more hostile crowds that's weird because if they were doing well you kind of think I wonder whether they changed their name and cracked on to the other band that they were originally called it's it's like paying to see a really good covers band when you're expecting to see the actual real deal though isn't it yeah true true so that eventually got sorted out it took like a year i think before that got sorted out and fleetwood mac at this point were on shaky ground anyway as a band so bob welch and then founding member peter green left and it looked like the band might actually be done and mick fleetwood and Lindsay Buckingham basically had this really chance encounter. So Fleetwood Mac were looking to record at the legendary Sound City Studios. And Lindsay Buckingham and Stevie Nicks, who were known as, I think, just Buckingham Nicks at that point, uh, they were a folk duo and they'd been recently recording at Sound City. They'd been laying down some demos. And Lindsay Buckingham was doing some more recording stuff and was wandering around Sound City and heard one of the tracks that he'd been creating as a demo playing in another studio room, stuck his head in. And he said he saw this giant of a man standing up grooving to a guitar solo of mine. I thought, what is going on? And left them to it. And that was Mick Fleetwood. Mick Fleetwood basically says that it was down to the fact that the producer that they had at the time, Keith Olsen, was playing Frozen Love to demonstrate just how the studio sounded. Interesting. Yeah. And how it would sound on recording. Buckingham says, when he heard my guitar, something obviously clicked in his mind because after their guitarist, Bob Welch, left, I got a call from Mick asking if I would join Fleetwood Mac. Originally, they weren't looking for a duo, but I said Stevie and I were a package deal. And basically, because they were so desperate to get someone in who was good and able to fill that role, they were like, Ah oh, shit, I guess I guess we have to we have to take her. And they initially pitched it as like they were gonna get paid two hundred quid a week. And so they were like, we could just quit at any time. So if this doesn't work out, we'll just leave. And it sort of worked out. Yeah. Cause they were originally a blues outfit, weren't they? Right. So the original Fleetwood Mac were just a blues band. Very, very classic bluesy sounding rock. Yeah. But Buckingham and Nick's were very, very classic folk. So it's almost this merging and melding of a British blues sound with an American folk rock dynamic that all of a sudden everything raised up a level. True. I've never thought about that connection, but you're right. I guess that's where the sound emerges from. Yeah. And so they came on board the album before Rumours, but they were literally just coming in as that album was being recorded, so didn't have that much influence from a musical perspective. It was only once they'd got to actually recording Rumours itself that they felt like they could take a little bit more of, you know, they could have more musical input and more influence on on the sound. Yeah. And Buckingham actually talks about the fact that he he was really keen to showcase his skill a little bit more, and that comes across in some of the guitar work. Yeah, it, it's it's something that I've noticed when listening to the album. Although there are some brilliant pieces of musicianship, no one's like jumping on stage, like doing a massive guitar solo, or there's no drum solos, and there's no kind of right. 
someone going over the top to show how awesome they are on a keyboard or whatever which again is rather incredible considering all the circumstances now anyone that really knows much about Fleetwood Mac will know the story behind this album Nick's and Buckingham were in the middle of breaking up Nick's actually ended things as they were wrapping up the album the McVees were getting a divorce and Mick Fleetwood had just discovered that his wife was having an affair with a close friend of his so there's all of this (laughs) chaos and strife that somehow combined to produce one of the all-time greats and you could imagine people wanting to be very individualistic and show themselves off in that scenario but it it doesn't go that way exactly right that's it is weird i would expect knowing the history of the album which is so well documented all over the internet you can see the the backstories and the the unhappiness going on with all these relationships and it's just total relationship chaos that yep. you'd have exactly that you'd have people going all right i'm having a really bad day i'm going to do a five minute guitar solo just to get it off my chest and show people this is who I am. Right. Or even refusing to give the other person in that relationship or that ending relationship something significant in the song that you're writing because you don't want them to have that role. Yeah, funny, isn't it? That is weird. Yeah. Buckingham says, we fed on the trauma in terms of our writing. In the studio, there were all these raw nerves exposed. It was made more difficult by the late 70s subculture of drugs. The way people were conducting their lives, it was difficult to get serious work done. That went on until I left the band in 1987, just after we'd finished recording Tango in the Night. Mick was pretty nuts back then. We all were. In terms of substance abuse, that was the worst it got. And there was a lot of particularly cocaine being done in and around this album and the follow-up albums. Yeah. Stevie Nicks certainly had a long history of, of drug issues afterwards. I don't know whether she was actually one of the worst. I get the impression that they were all as bad as, as she was, but because she was, you know, she and Christine McVie were some of the first women to be prominent musicians playing instruments in a top, top band at that time. Most bands had women as backing singers maybe a lead singer but generally not seen as talented musicians in their own right so i can imagine the press going for her a little bit on that front yeah and you mentioned a top band this was the fastest selling lp ever when it came out in 1977 it was it just sold millions and millions of copies straight off the bat so there's an instant kind of limelight that's thrown on all of them and yeah, if you're in the middle of that chaos and you've got access to all the, the drink and drugs you want, then yeah, it's a recipe for potential chaos. Yeah. And yet, despite all of that, it sounds like what really happened was that it got them laser focused on the music and on the sound. So Christine McVie says, I became really interested in the recording process. I used to watch everything simply because it was more interesting than having a fight interesting and i get that yeah just blocking everything else out and and really getting into the nitty-gritty of the music well let's do it let's go into some of the some of the tracks i mean in terms of the opening track yeah secondhand news is a buckingham track which opens with this upbeat bluesy guitar riff and the classic male female harmonized vocal that fleetwood mac was so well known for (laughs) but i know there's nothing to say someone has taken my place it is not an upbeat lyric to open that song with. It's the best rebound song ever. I love this song. I think it's it's, it's one of my favourites. And yeah, it's it's someone who's basically has been on the wrong end of a, a bad breakup and is trying to 
look for a plan B. Right. But it's weird because this song is not the only one that I feel about this. There's a lot of this album that almost feels like there's an odd lightness to it. It's not heavy with depression or anger or hate. It's almost like this is a cathartic release that was needed as these relationships are falling apart. It's one of the most upbeat songs on the album. Right. Which is cool. When I first found out that, well, I should have known because of the title, but when you read into it and it is about being on on the rebound, maybe that's it. Maybe it's just the cathartic nature of the song that, right. that makes it more, more upbeat. But I think it's a cracking opener for an album. It's so good. And it's, it's a polished 70s rock sound, but it's not overproduced, which some stuff in that era was starting to get quite overproduced. And I love how Mick Fleetwood's drumming punches through and drives everything along. Yeah, there's the drumming and then the, there's this muted bass, which is just, it's just totally controlled and oh. a wonderful piece of music. McVie's bass playing in this album is something that's really understated, I think. Mm. I mean, apart from the obvious, which we'll come on to, there's some brilliant bass lines that just sort of sit just under the surface, but they tie everything together brilliantly. Yeah, exactly. One thing I will say about the Fleetwood drumming thing is that Sound City had this reputation. There was a particular room in there. Dave Grohl talks about it when he talks about the stuff that he recorded there with Nirvana and with the Foo Fighters, that there was this one room that you'd sit in and drum and it just had this perfect acoustics for the drumming. Wow, okay, that's cool. So yeah, maybe it is part of the environment as well as the drummer itself. Yeah, worth worth watching uh, the Sound City documentary that, that he made that talks about that stuff. It's a really interesting documentary if you're interested in music, how music's made, classic albums. Some of the stuff that was recorded at Sound City was incredible. I know we touched on it briefly in the Foo Fighters album, but I would definitely recommend going and having a listen. Nice. So what's next? Are you, go, are, you go, are you going straight to the second track? Well, I mean, we're not turning this into OK Computer where we talk about every single track, but the opening half of this album is just so good that it's it's difficult to skip much. Yeah. So Dreams is a Nick's track and it's got such a lovely bass groove. Lyrically, it's brilliant. It's It almost perfectly captures the end of a relationship kind of needing your own space but maybe regretting that decision once you've had some time apart so the lyric of now here you go again you say you want your freedom well who am i to keep you down it's only right that you should play the way you feel it but listen carefully to the sound of your loneliness like a heartbeat drives you mad in the stillness of remembering what you had and what you lost it's so good it is although the only thing i'd say that's controversial probably on this whole album is i think the cause did it better (laughs) <laughs> I really like the cause version. Um, Get out. Ah, <laughs> uh, I've lost that. so much respect for you right now. I, I'm sorry. I, I I shouldn't really pick holes in a Fleetwood Mac out in this album in particular because it is so good. But um, I'm just going to put it out there. Uh, I'm going to disagree because the just the emotion and the energy in this yeah, recording. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it's not perfect. I'm winding you up. let's move on quickly before i get letters emails tweets all right yeah so don't stop is christine mcphee track and i need to tell you about this song everyone knows this song it's positive both musically and lyrically and apparently she was renowned for bringing that to fleetwood max music it's a classic absolute classic yeah 
Go and stick it on on Spotify. You'll know it. You don't need us to tell you about it. Whack it on. One thing that I did notice in another review was someone said, listen to the drumming on here again from from Mick Fleetwood, because Mm -hmm. the comment said, normally at this point, at the last quarter of the tracks, a drummer would decide to kind of start filling in and doing all sorts of extra stuff. Fleetwood doesn't. He just keeps it completely on point all the way through to the very end of the song. And he, he just sits in the background. And it's an interesting thing that I hadn't noticed, but it does make this song almost stand out more. So Mick Fleetwood talks about his drumming. I wasn't going to talk about this because there's so much information on Fleetwood Mac. And I know this is going to end up as a really long episode if we go into all of it. But one of the things he talks about is the fact that as a drummer, he was self-taught. And so he isn't a kind of classic, very tight, you know, specifically doing drumming the way it's supposed to be done. And so he talks about the fact that he's, I think he says drumming dyslexic or something like that, where he will never produce the exact same drumming time after time after time. He'll he'll get this emotional connection with the song and he'll play it the way he feels it in the moment. And so I presume when they're out on tour, you'll get some stuff that is pretty much bang on how it is on the record, but other stuff where it, it differs from that. But he also says that because of that, he doesn't do things the way that people expect. He'll often play drum riffs where people shouldn't be and not play them where people expect them to interesting and so that that is interesting yeah that sounds like it would probably fit with you know what they're saying about this particular track yeah so <laughs> i know we're trying not to go through every song um <laughs> well we can't the skip the next one <laughs> <laughs> uh you can go your own way it's a buckingham track and again another classic dig i guess a bit at nick's yeah the guitars in this are brilliant but the drumming is the star i love the toms in the opening riff mick apparently uses a reverse rack tom setup so his middle tom is first and his high tom is second which is the wrong way round for a drum kit and so it it just creates this unique sound that's very different to a lot of the way that drummers will play cool didn't know that yeah i mean i love toms i think toms are an underrated drum and actually there's not nearly enough of that in modern rock music people have the very standard drum kit setup i wonder what neil thinks about that oh drumming should be in the background (laughs) and quiet as far as neil's concerned (laughs) buckingham says about this i was completely devastated when she took off and you can hear this in the lyrics if i could maybe i'd give you my world how can i when you won't take it from me oh what a line it's a gut-wrenching line but again one that people who have been in love with someone who have not been in love with you fallen out of love with you whatever can relate to absolutely yeah i can't say much more about this track it's a it's a stone cold classic just leave it at that if you don't know this track what have you been listening to (laughs) yes exactly yeah (laughs) uh all right i have got one more track that i want to talk about and it's my favourite Fleetwood Mac track and probably one of my favourite songs of all time. One of the best things ever recorded, The Chain. So, yeah, for me, this was my introduction to Fleetwood Mac, but not because it was a Fleetwood Mac song. It was because for many people of our generation, it was the theme tune for the Formula One. Um, and in the UK, there was a um, TV programme which opened with the theme tune, which is at about kind of what, three minutes or so into the track. It's three minutes almost dead on. 
But before that, there's a completely different song floating around. Yeah. So I actually chatted with my dad about this because I'm the same as you. I used to watch Formula One with my dad from before I can remember. Some of my earliest memories are watching that with him. And apparently what had happened, so my dad worked for the BBC. He worked for the BBC as a videotape editor for most of his career. And so he told me about this in the past. So I actually had a chat with him yesterday to kind of refresh my memory on this. Apparently what had happened was that Eccleston, this was when he was really starting to push Formula One as a commercial thing and trying to drive it forward as a premium sports thing. And so he'd made a big fuss about the fact that they weren't giving enough kudos because it was still part of Grandstand. They would just flick from whatever was on in Grandstand to the Formula One and show some of it. And so he basically bullied them into making it its own thing. So they were looking for a theme tune. And apparently just one of the sports assistant producers played the track from that kind of three-minute-in point with the baseline to the bosses and the powers that be, and they loved it. And so it became the Formula One music. Wow. That's good of them to grab the rights because it is a, it's doubled in fame because of that, I think, in definitely in our generation. Well, apparently they got loads of inquiries in the first year or so about where's that music from? What's that piece of music from people who had heard it and loved it, but didn't know Fleetwood Mac at that time? And you think it's not like nowadays where you have Spotify and all these things where you can just go and find music very easily. Back then... If you didn't know a band, you didn't know their stuff. And this wasn't released as a single off the album. So it's not like it'd have got loads of airplay on, you know, Top of the Pops or whatever. I mean, it's iconic and linked to Formula One to such a level that British Formula One fans were genuinely angry when it moved to ITV and that got lost from the opening credits. Yeah, I agree. It's um, the start to a Grand Prix in my head. That's. Mm-hmm what you need to have in the background before you see cars racing. Absolutely. A classic. So we should talk about the actual track itself. Uh, I love the way this builds. So it starts slow, that kind of very quiet acoustic guitar opening, and then you've got the drums and the keys and the harmonised lyrics that all kind of swirl and build up to a kind of peak, and then it all lulls away. Yeah. And then that bass line kicks in, and you get Buckingham's guitar solo over the top of it. I mean, it's incredible. Well, this is the thing that makes the album really kind of not unique, but if you look at the earlier tracks, you've got folk tracks, you've got ballad, songbirds of ballad, um, mm-hmm. and then you go into the chain, and at the end of the chain, it's almost a rock song. Yep. It's got the solo guitar and the bass, and then later in the album, it goes quiet. So the whole album kind of wraps up in this kind of funny way because... I guess in some ways the reason it's so popular is because there are so many different facets to it. Yep. And the chain almost does everything in one song. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that outro of the bass and the guitar together has got to be easily as famous as things like Freebird and, and other big, well-known rock song endings and solos. Yeah. And for a band that don't do that very often. I mean, I don't really, I don't know the rest of their back catalogue, but that's really the only time that they rock out in a, in a song. And you kind of think, wow, if you can pull that out of the hat, then <laughs> what else have you got? Yeah, absolutely. And I do think, again, while the bass line there is the thing that people think of with this song, I had listened to it earlier and sort of had a bit more of a critical ear. And the bass in the first half is 
absolutely brilliant. It's so clean and so perfect. Yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't, when you really dig into it, it doesn't sound like two separate songs because that bass line does just, it does stuff all the way through. Yeah. I'm not going to go into the rest of the album, but there's some very, very good songs that come in later on. It's not like the end of this album just tails off. We can't spend more time talking about <laughs> everything on here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it wraps up as a whole very well. Yeah. We should talk about a few other Fleetwood Mac songs, though, just just to name check them Do it. more than anything. Everywhere. It's a great track. What a song. I Yes, i completely forgotten about that. What an amazing song that is. Yep. It's classic. And you've got Gypsy, Little Lies. Yes, of course, Little Lies. Yeah. Yep. Rhiannon. Do I know Rhiannon? You will I'll know probably it. know if it. You, if you put it on and listen to it, you'll know it. Uh, and then Tusk, which in my notes I've just got written in capital letters, Uga Chaka. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think everyone will know exactly what you mean once you said that. <laughs> Apparently some of the percussion in here is Mick Fleetwood hitting a leg of lamb with a spatula. Fantastic. Nothing would surprise me. Like if you, t- we should probably have a little round of made-up Mick Fleetwood stories versus true Mick Fleetwood stories, and you oh. probably wouldn't. <laughs> I would love that. We should definitely do that. <laughs> but yeah, that does. Yeah, he was a bit of an animal, from what from what I understand. <laughs> when actually, when did you discover? It? Was it the Formula One that actually got you into Fleetwood Mac, or how did this album get into your head? Yeah, so Formula One and the Chain is the first thing that i remember in terms of hearing fleetwood mac but then i mentioned i got a best of album in my 20s and there's so much fleetwood mac that i'd listen to on capital on bbc radio one on various different tv programs growing up that they were almost just part of that woven fabric of british culture in in the 80s and 90s that's a really good way of putting it actually you're right i think that is the the reason that so many people know of them is because it just it was part of your life you would you would hear that music and i think for me they are definitely an influence from a musical perspective but again because they were so much part of the fabric of life i couldn't tell you how that's influenced my taste i think almost the real influence was in my mid-twenties where getting that was a reminder of how much great music there was from the 60s and 70s that I'd just not really explored because in my mind back then, newer is always better. And so why would I listen to something old when someone will have built upon that sound and built upon that work to produce something better? Actually, that's not true. There's so much amazing music from that era that I just hadn't explored. And Pink Floyd, Jim playing Dark Side of the Moon at uni over and over again for a three-month period got me into them. And that probably was a bit of a spark to getting back to it. But Fleetwood Mac were equally part of that that spark maybe a year or so later. Yeah, I'm I'm not one of those people that had it played at home all the time. Right. This album, I'm sure many people listening to this will have oh yeah, will have had this as their parents' go-to album and fair play to them. But I've never um I never got into it like that. It's it's more as you say, it's part of the fabric of growing up in the eighties. Absolutely. So have you seen them live? I have never seen them live. I would love to see them live. They've been a bit tricky on that front because they sort of have taken various hiatuses and band members have left and come back and they've not toured and all this kind of stuff. So it's been tricky. 
but then over the last 10 years they have played more arena tours and actually the <laughs> the difficult thing has been pulling the trigger on buying tickets because i remember th- think it was the o2 arena or maybe wembley stadium they played like four or five gigs there four or five years ago now and they were well over 100 quid a ticket just for the cheap seats well it doesn't surprise me at all because they're so popular and so well known if someone said do you want Fleetwood Mac tickets probably everyone from the age of I'd guess 30 probably even less than that now up to to old would go yeah oh yeah I'm in I'm totally in and I'd pay money to 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 see them so massive demand yeah so they're arena tours or very special lucky gigs I did think I was going to get to see them at Glastonbury because there were a lot of rumors in 2010 when I was there that they were going to be a sneaky secret headliner and then it got closer and closer to the weekend it became clear that they weren't that did mean that I got to see Florence and the Machine do an epic cover of the chain there because she'd heard those rumors lol that they would be there and sadly they weren't I'd love to see them live though yeah I I heard about that Florence and the Machine gig it was Mm -hmm. very good I think you told me that, but I think I heard that elsewhere as well. It's available on iPlayer. I think they've got the Glastonbury coverage from that year still up and running as part of the highlights that was on there. And it's weird because seeing it live, I was like, oh my God, this is so perfect and so great. And actually watching it back in the cold light of day, part of what made it great was the energy of the crowd and being there because she misses a few notes. They don't get it perfect, but it's that energy that she brought to it that just made it brilliant. You find it a lot with gigs that you've been to or festivals that you've been to. When you're watching it back, it feels like there's something missing, which obviously there is, is that you're not in that kind of massive crush of people getting bustled about and listening to that that noise. But when you watch a festival that you haven't been to, it's less noticeable. Yeah, I think there's also an element of it depends on how good the recording engineer is that's actually capturing the sound from the festival because I've seen live recordings from like did not sound like that live it sounded so much better and it's just that somebody screwed something up somewhere yeah I'm just gonna say it whoever the engineer was at 97 when Radiohead played thanks very much (laughs) I've got some fond memories I'm gonna keep saying it I saw Radiohead in 97 when they played OK Computer yeah I'm going to look very Brilliant. smug and I'm going to say that forever on every podcast if I can. <laughs> but you you haven't, I assume, seen Fleetwood Mac either. No, no. And again, I think there were rumours of them appearing when I went to Glastonbury even before you. And again, it didn't happen. So it would be great to see them, but no, I haven't seen them. I don't think my parents have seen them either, even though they would have been in that general vicinity of bands that they might have seen at that time. Yeah, I need to talk to mine to see if they've got it i know they've got the album i'm pretty sure i've seen it floating around in the house but yeah don't know if it's one of the the gigs that they went to fair enough cool cool good well i think you've picked an absolute top drum and actually it kind of starts to open the door on so many other massive albums which we've just skipped past a little bit but it's good to go into something that's so well known because yeah, I haven't listened to it for ages and I'm glad you brought it up. So yeah, well done. Cheers. Yeah, it's been, cool. been a fun chat. And sadly, that's our that's our last album for the year, but we will be back in early January with some more. We'll obviously post on Twitter and Instagram, I Might Be Wrong UK, as soon as those start going back up again. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, for now, it's been a, it's been a good, good year. 
and uh, have a listen next week for our, our roundup and wrap up of the year, including some some gems like our favourite albums of the year and, and singles and a few other bits and bobs. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks, Rich. Cheers. Thank you for listening to another episode of I Might Be Wrong.